Thanks for listening to a YPC podcast. We believe God wants to do so much for you and through you, and we'd love to hear about it. Take a second to send your story to office at ypcprior.com and enjoy the message today. Super glad you guys are here and you chose to carve out a part of your weekend to come worship with us. I'm just going to be brutally honest with you and let you know I am on ready right now. So I am ready just to jump into it. So I'm going to forego the whole niceties of, hey, welcome, super glad, whatever. So I'm just going to jump into the word today. Is that okay with everyone? Turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 19. If you brought a mobile device that has a mobile app on it, that has a a Bible on it, uh, go ahead and get that pulled up. 1 Kings chapter 19. If you brought an actual Bible Bible, page Bible, paper Bible, you can go ahead and, and find that and put your finger there and just hang on to it. We'll be there in just a minute. Last week, we started a series that we're entitling Press Pause. And uh, we started to share some things with you about living a distracted life and how technology, as awesome as it is, can sometimes be harmful. And uh, interestingly enough, I actually came across a video of Simon Sinek. He was, uh, he was actually talking about something unrelated to our series, but it was really good. He was, he was referring to millennials in the workplace, right? So several of us, uh, several of us in the room were millennials, right? And I say we, I am not a millennial as much as I wished I was. I am too old to be a millennial. Um, but uh, but in, the, in the video, so this is just a regular broadcast, right? And so I'm, I'm assuming it's probably 20, 30 minutes long. But in this, he actually said something that I felt pertained to our conversation that we're having during this, during this series. Um, I don't necessarily agree with his advice, but I do like his research. So take a look at this. Pretty eye-opening a little video series. If you, could, you could find it, just Google it on, uh, on your, on, online, and you'll see the whole thing there. But I thought it interesting that the one thing that our distractions are doing is they're actually preventing us or not allowing us to create meaningful relationships, which is a big deal at your place, church. Everybody has a place. Everybody has a spot. Everybody fits in. And so meaningful relationships are pretty huge to us, which is why this life group's training tonight is such a big deal and therefore the the rendezvous next week. And I know if you're like me, then it seems like life could be kind of like this river water. It just kind of gets shook up. And it's hard to see clearly through the water when everything in our life is just constantly moving and constantly turmoil and constantly chaos and constantly life. And so it's hard for us to really see, to to decipher, to be able to tell what's going on because everything's always spinning. The debris is always going, right? This reminds me of the first time I entered into a moment or a season of silence and solitude. I know uh, the sediments were swirling around me, busyness, emotions, thoughts, the inner wrestling that I had not been able to control up to that point. And this image of river water captured my attention so well because Psalm 46 verse 10 says to be still and know that I'm God. To be still that the waters of my soul could become clear so I could see that which was meant to be. Humans are designed with emotions. We just have feelings. We have emotions. And emotions are good. 
But some emotions actually are harmful. The, the, the emotion or the feeling of being alone, of being isolated, the, 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 the feeling of sadness has some benefits to it because it, it, chances are it forces you to do something, but long-term sadness becomes depression. And so here's what we need to know as believers or those who follow the way of Jesus. Um, we're never alone. God is always with us. And we said last week that the definition of silence and solitude is intentional time in the quiet place to be alone with ourselves and with God. Hopefully you carved out some time last week to do that. Maybe you put it in your iCal and said, you know what, alert me when this time is coming so I can do it. Maybe you, were, you, you planned your route to work or maybe you went to your room earlier than normal and you slowed down long enough to just experience silence and solitude. And if that's the case, then some of you may have noticed a sudden of emotions, if you will, or feelings that you've been running from started to kind of inundate you during that time. Feelings or emotions started to rise to the surface of your heart, and you were exposed to, at least for a brief time, to who you really are. And if that happened to you, I'm assuming it did, then you're probably asking the question, am I alone? Am I the only one that had this experience? Am I doing this wrong. You know, you get there, you're all excited about this moment, and then you start to feel this array of emotions that you didn't intend on feeling, and you felt exposed. Let me just tell you, if that was your experience, you're not alone. The reason why we're pressing pause and the reason why we're talking about this in January is because this is a practice of the way of Jesus that I myself have, have been a part of, and I just want you to experience what I have experienced. You know, if you go to a great restaurant, you'll tell a bunch of people because you want them to experience what you've experienced. Same with a, a great movie. You know, you'll tell everybody, well, this is the presence of God. And so today, I'm going to go just a little bit deeper. Today, I'm going to get a little bit more raw with you, and I need you to be okay with it. It's okay. It's safe. It's safe. And uh, I want to I take us on a journey into silence and solitude, because I know there's a lot of people with questions, and I've had several people come up to me and say, okay, about this, about this, about this. And the most important thing that I think you need to know is there's no right way or wrong way to do silence and solitude, all right? So whatever you do, however you choose to get in the presence of God for as long as you choose to, it's okay. It's good. So let's continue our conversation from last week, this week. Father, we love you, and we just ask that the Holy Spirit lead us and guide us into this conversation. Father, we've come today because we're curious We've come today, Father God, not just because it's Sunday and it's church day and this is what I'm supposed to do to get points so I can get into heaven. None of that's true anyway. Father, we've come today to hear from you, to see your word come alive inside of our hearts, inside of our souls. So, Father, I pray that once again, like the writer of Ephesians says, unlock our understanding 
Let us see things that we've never seen before. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Ruth Haley Barton, she's the author of An Invitation to Solitude and Silence, talks about in her book the push-pull phenomenon. Inside of all of us, we feel pushed toward a time with God alone. It's this inner drive. It's a hunger. It's a thirst on the inside because this is how we were created for relationship. We were created for relationship with God. Yet there's also this pull away from Him that happens. It's this, this, there's this all sorts of forces internally like insecurity, like pain, like fear, coupled with maybe outside forces like our phone, um, the schedule, life, and it all comes together to pull us away from this encounter, if you will, with God. We're in, we're in a cross currents, if you will. I want to see God. I don't want to see God. It's this push. It's this pull. And I would argue that the reason why so many of us give in to the pull away from God phenomenon is fear. It's fear. We are afraid, if we're going to be honest, to be alone with God and yourself. And why is it? Why is it that we always have to have music playing or the TV on? Is it just because of the, the addiction, the dopamine hit that he was talking about on the, on the video? Maybe. Or is it something deeper? Are we afraid to feel? Are we afraid to feel the pain or the uncertainty or the pressure? Are we scared to confront our emotions, our thoughts, the anger, the betrayal, the hurt? And I think for some of us, if we're going to be honest, we're scared to be alone with God, our Heavenly Father. And we think that we'll get there and we'll have very little relationship between us. I know I've got this friend who, I mean, we're friends, like our wives are friends, we hang out with groups of people, we do things as groups of people, right? And there are these times where I find myself alone with my friend, okay? And can I be honest, when we're alone together, it's just awkward, <laughs> okay? There's just not enough relational bandwidth between me and him to feel like this is really good. And for some of us, I feel like it's the same with God. Like, we really like God. We like the idea of God. We like coming to church and being around God with all of our other friends, right? We like going to life group and talking about God with our friends. But just me and God alone in the quiet place seems scary to some of us. It seems a little too much. What if we get there and we realize that our personal relationship with Jesus is more of a cliche than an actual relationship? So all sorts of fear rises around the idea of silence and solitude. So the question is, how do we work through that fear? How do we go through all of that and come out on the other side in this new place of freedom? 
Well, I think the answer lies in the story of Elijah. And so in 1 Kings chapter 19, let me give you a little bit of backstory here. Elijah is a Hebrew prophet from the 9th century BC, okay? He's living in a time when Israel is divided by civil war. Uh, there is this petty, insecure king named Ahab, and the root of the problem is the king's wife, who is a Canaanite woman who worships Baal, or we would say Baal. Some people uh, refer to him as Baal, but for us today, we're going to say Baal. She worships Baal and is basically a psychopath, okay? So here we go. We have the north side of Israel that basically is in havoc, it's in chaos, it's wreck, and Elijah is a prophet to the north, okay? So no one wants this job. Elijah did not fill out an application to be, quote, the, the official prophet of the north. God tapped on Elijah's shoulder and said, go talk to those people. And so it's not really a job that anybody wanted, but in 1 Kings chapter 18, he's coming off what should be a high point in his career. I mean, we've seen him you know, call for a drought for three years, right? It has not rained a drop of rain in the north for three years. Now, why this is a big deal is they're an agrarian society. They grow everything. It's not like you can truck in an avocado from Mexico, right? You just have to grow it if you want to. And in the midst of all that, he calls the prophets of Baal to the top of Mount Carmel, Caramel, caramel, whatever you say, right? Which is essentially Baal's home turf. And Elijah wants to pick a fight with Baal, so he meets him on his home turf. We know from football that there's a clear advantage when you're playing at home. So, right? We understand homecoming, like, woo! We always pick the worst team to play at homecoming, right? Because we want to be awesome, right? So, so Elijah wants to pick a fight with Bell, and he says, I'll take you on at your homecoming, you fool, right? And so he comes, and he has this whole dramatic story. He's like, you build an altar over there. I'll build an altar over here. You pour water on my you know, sacrifice, and you call on your God, I'll call on my God, the God who answers by fire and consumes the sacrifice. We all agree he's God. You good? You good? Okay, you guys go first. And of course, nothing happens, and it happened, and he waits all day long. He gives them the complete benefit of the doubt. And then he calls on our God, and of course, the fire comes down consumes the sacrifice, the altar, the licks up the water in the ditch. It's just this amazing, amazing story. Well, he gets up after that and orders the execution of all 300 prophets of Baal, and then he calls for the heavens to open and the rain to start falling. Just a miracle story. Then you turn the page. Chapter 19, verse 1. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods, little g, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I don't make your life like that of one of them. Verse 3 says, Elijah was afraid. One translation says he ran for his life, right? When he came to Beersheba in Judah, which is in the south, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. A little extreme there. But he says, I have had enough, Lord. 
Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and he fell asleep. So one moment he's on this amazing career high, like God was real, and the next moment he's scared to death. I think we would call that the crash, right? The crash. It's one minute you're all hyped up on accomplishment, like you, you, you hit a home run in the project at work, and you come home and you find out that your kid got an A on the essay that he wrote about you, and you're his biggest hero, and you know, like, it's like this amazing moment, I love my life, and then you get that text message, or you get that email from your boss, and then it's like all of this emotional meltdown begins to happen. One thing throws us off, and it's like the bottom falls out. And Elijah's smart enough to know and to realize what's going on, and he says goodbye to his friend, right? And then he goes into, as we learned last week, the Oremos. He says, what I need right now is I need intentional time in the quiet place to be alone with myself and to be with God. And the first thing he does is he prays, and it's essentially it's just a suicide note. I mean, that's what it is, right? Verse 4, I've had enough. Lord, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And then he lay down under the bush, and he fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals, and a jar of water. He ate and he drank and then he laid down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and he touched him and he said, get up and eat for the journey's too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. You know, at the beginning of Elijah's silence and solitude moment, there was very little praying. It was sleeping, it was eating, and it was drinking water. Towards the end of verse eight, Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and he spent the night. Now, it's been 40 days. It's a 40-day journey to Mount Horeb. If you're familiar with Scripture, then you know Mount Horeb is another name for Mount Sinai, which is a place known for encounters with the living God. This is where Moses saw the burning bush. This is where he led the Hebrew children to, and they saw thunder and smoke and lightning. This is where the Ten Commandments were chiseled out on, on Mount Sinai, right? This is where we get the names of God from. All of this happened. It's Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb is a place of revelation, and Elijah goes for days on a journey to encounter God, to hear him speak over his life. And instead of God just, just completely setting him straight, he asks him a question. <laughs> instead of getting the answer that he so desperately needed that he's just walked 40 days for, he gets a question. The word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? Put it another way, what's going on inside of you? Like, what's really the issue? And then again, if you read verse 10, Elijah begins to just vent before the Lord. He's like, I've put it on the line for you, God. He's like, my entire calling, my ministry, no one even cares what I'm doing all the guys who were doing what I was doing are dead now, and my life is next. It's all 
down the tubes. It's despair. Verse 11, the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. So just, just go out and stand there. Go out and with all of your emotions, with all of your pain, with all of this anxiety, this depression, this, this, all this stuff that you're carrying around, just walk out there and stand there with all of that and wait for me. Wait for the presence of the Lord. The Bible goes on to say, Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face, went out, and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me. It was the exact same thing that he said previously. This time, I feel like his tone was different. Verse 15, the Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Heziel, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisa, the son of Sherephath, right? And he has this whole conversation with him. There's so much here. So much that we could talk to. And I'm sure if you've been around church for any length of time or the Bible, then you've heard this story before. But for our conversation this weekend, I really want to focus in on what seems to be a seven-stage pattern that I see in history. It's not so much a formula, but more of a pattern. And those seven stages are simply resting, waiting, feeling, naming, hearing, being transformed, and reentering society. We're just going to get to the first four this weekend, and with your permission, we'll cover the next, next weekend. So number one, if you're taking notes, is resting. Here's Elijah. He gets to the broom bush. He is so exhausted that he can't even pray. And all that he has the capacity to do is pray out this, this little fatal prayer, and then he falls asleep. The angel says, get up and eat. He does, and he falls back to sleep. That's all Elijah does for days. He eats, he sleeps, he hydrates, he repeats. And it's funny because as I'm talking to my staff about scheduling some of their silence and solitude retreats that I'm, I'm encouraging them to do, the, the number one thing that their concern is, is, Pastor, I think I'm going to get there and sleep the whole time. <laughs> Like, I'm just going to get there, no cell phone, and no one's going to be, you know, coming to get me or talk to me or anything like that. I have a feeling I'm just going to sleep the whole time. And that may be true. Some of us, we may get to this place and we get quiet and all we do is hear or think about negative thoughts. Some may live with a low-grade exhaustion that actually never goes away. And I know people would be like, yeah, pastor, it's called life with a toddler, right? Right? 
or it's called, you know, it's called being a full-time college student and having a full-time career. It's living with this appendage called an iPhone, right? Many of us are too tired to pray. Even if God were to speak over our life, we would be too tired to really comprehend it. Pete Scazzaro, I have to say his name right, Scazzaro, in his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, says, it's impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. I can tell you the times when I am the most emotionally mature are the times that I hunger for God. Does that make sense? I mean, you guys understand this. None of you have the flu like you're laying in bed with a bowl beside your head and you're like, God, send the Holy Ghost on me. No, we're not, we're not doing that, right? If anything, we're like, God, take this thing away, right? Like, heal me or just take me home. I think that's the way most of us are. How many of you, after the end of a long, hard work week, you're just bone marrow tired, you want to go home and pray all night and fast and read Leviticus through a study Bible? No. No one wants to do that. I want to do that, but, but I'm a pastor. So no one else wants to do that. Kidding. Really, I am. When we get tired and we don't have enough energy to do what's truly life-giving, like reading our word, reading the Bible, or soaping, or, or prayer, or worship. We can't even have a nice, long conversation with someone who we love. Instead, all the energy we have is for escaping-type behavior, like binge-watching TV, or overeating, over-drinking, online shopping, social media, porn, all of it will only make us feel more tired and in some cases more depressed. And we become easy prey for the tempter. Is this okay today, friends? I just want to share with you what's changed my life and what's changed so many others. One of the greatest dangers to those who want to follow God is the exhaustion that comes from an over-busy life. So for some of us, the best thing you can do for your prayer life is to eat, drink, go to bed early, and not set an alarm the next morning. Just get some sleep. Just Sabbath. I don't know if we taught a lot about Sabbath around here. I have taught on it, but Sabbath is just a day off it's a day of rest. It's a day of worship, right? It's a day that refreshes your soul. So we close the offices here at, on Fridays. Like, there's no one here on Friday. If you come, knock on the door, no one's here on Friday, right? I give everybody the day off. But I'm going to be honest, we're not in a place emotionally to Sabbath on Friday, because we're just exhausted by the time we get to Thursday. So the only thing I do Thursday night is I eat, I drink, and I go to bed, right? I get up on Friday. I'm still probably not in a real good place to go lay before the Lord. I mean, I read and I, I do pray, but it's not really my Sabbath. 
I actually date my wife on Fridays. We go to Tulsa. We eat at our favorite restaurants. We drink coffee in our favorite bakeries. Like, we have a good time. Saturday is the only day that I have to do the honeydew list. And so Saturdays are typically reserved for the honeydews, right? It's the only time I have. Sunday is when most of you probably Sabbath. It's, it's the time you have. We, for us at Your Place Church, this is a work day, right? We love it. It's full. It's restoring. But we're, we're on today. We have three services. We have a staff meeting right after our third service. And then we have a life groups training tonight. Like, this is a busy day for us. So, so Tyra and I, we will Sabbath on Mondays. I'll usually go up to my master bedroom. She goes down to our fishing dock on the lake. And I know some of your fellows are like, wait, wait, you, you got that backwards. Like, you're supposed to go down to the fishing dock, bro. Like, she's supposed to be up in the bed. Like, what are you doing? Yeah, we're weird like that. But anyway, this is what we do. We go our separate ways. We have conversations with God in our quiet times. I may write a message you're typically getting stuff that I'm working through, i.e. silence and solitude, right? I think this week, for you, a good exercise for you would be to chart yourself on how tired you are at the end of the week. Are you good tired or are you dangerously tired? Good tired is you feel good. You got a good long work weekend, You got a lot of stuff done, you get to the end of the day, you should fall asleep, right? If you don't fall asleep at the end of the day, you may be dangerously tired. Dangerously tired is coming home, staying up all night, and binge-watching Chinese movies with the subtitles on, right? That's dangerously tired. You need sleep. You need to eat. You need to sleep. You need Sabbath. The first thing is resting. The second thing is waiting. The Bible says in verse 8, Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, if you Google this journey, it's like 257, 260-something miles or so. And if he would walk, I'm I'm estimating that he probably walked about six, a little over six miles a day. And if you were to walk from, you know, sunup to sundown, call it 12 hours, that's about a half a mile an hour, which is painfully slow. Elijah is not in a hurry. You could probably make the same journey in about a week or two. It took him 40 days to make this journey up to the mountain of God. And does God speak over his life in that time? No. He says, you know what? Get up, eat, drink. That's it. He doesn't say anything else. He just takes his time. And the reality about hearing God, listen to me, friends, listen. Hearing God just takes time. And we don't like that. Because to us, we live in a world where we don't like waiting. Don't don't we? We don't like waiting. We live in a world of instant gratification. Waiting has become a thing of the past. If you want something, you just jump online. It'll be here tomorrow. 
You want to watch a movie, you just live stream it or, or just, you know, download it, whatever. You want to watch a TV series? I know people who wait till the end of the series just so they can watch the whole series at once, right? You know, we don't even have to, we don't even have to wait in dating anymore. You know, dating, we used to be like, hey, what's, what's up, you know? Now we just swipe right, right? We just, we don't even have to wait in that. We live in a world of instant gratification, and we don't like waiting because waiting is a not a part of our behavior anymore. So this can be, for some of us, a painful process when you're waiting on God and he's smiling but not talking. And there's something that happens, listen to me, friends, in hour four through eight that just doesn't happen on your way out the door. And I know for so many of us in the room, we're like, well, then there's just no hope. Like, I just don't have that kind of time. And so you throw the baby out with the bathwater. All right, next series, right? No. I get that. But just start with 10 minutes. Just start with your commute to the office or to work or whatever that looks like for you. God extends grace and so do we. But just know that there is something that happens when you give it time. There's something that happens. This is why we're doing the 21 days of prayer and fasting. My hopes are is that you're actually doing this. And not just making us believe that you're doing this. It doesn't affect us, friends. Whether you're fasting or not, I don't care. Whether you're praying or not, I mean, I do care. Otherwise, I'm going to be like Elijah. They're not listening. <laughs> I'm done, right? No, but it doesn't affect me. It affects you. My first silence and solitude experience was two summers ago in June. I got to my tent of meeting, as I refer to it, which is a mobile home, basically termites holding hands. It's not pretty, right? And uh, I get there, and about 9 a.m., and I, I, I pray, I worship, I read my Bible, um, and then I just wait. About noon, I, I had a little bit of lunch. I had brought my lunch, so I didn't have to leave. I didn't want to get interrupted, and I just waited. One o'clock or so, I fell asleep, resting, right? resting. But after I woke up that day, it's as if the presence of Jesus himself was just looking at me, waiting for me to wake up. I fell on the floor and I worshiped God, what seemed like a good 15, maybe 20 minutes. But when I got up and I looked at the clock on the, on the bar in front of me, it had been hours and I just passed like that. And I had this encounter with God, there's something about waiting on God that just works. And it's not because I'm a pastor. It's because I'm a child of the living God, and so are you. So are you. So the first is resting. The second is waiting. The third that we see in Elijah's story is feeling. It's feeling. God finally asks Elijah the question, what are you doing here? Like, what's going on? 
And this question releases a flood of emotions that has been bottled up inside of Elijah. It's doubt, it's frustration, it's disillusionment, it's depression, anger, fear, insecurity. It's all there. But after resting and waiting on God, he's in a way better place. And you notice his prayer, or his, his, his prayer was very specific and direct. He knew exactly what was going on. He's not suicidal anymore, but he's willing to sit in those emotions, to get honest with himself and honest with God, to feel, not alone, but to feel all of this with his heavenly Father. And then the last stage is simply naming. So resting, waiting, feeling, naming. Not only does he have the courage to feel, but he has the courage to name it all. The good, the bad, and the ugly, right? Verse 10, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altars. And they put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. So the good news, I'm still here. The bad, they've rejected your covenants and my entire life's work has been a waste of time. And the ugly, I'm the only one left, Lord. I'm the only one left, which we know later it was not true. The implication right here is God... I want out. I'm done. I want out. No one is hearing me. I did not sign up for this. He's just venting. You ever felt that way before? A lot of us have. Can you imagine how scary that must have been to be honest with himself and with God. Henry Nouwen wrote this in his book. Solitude is not a private therapeutic place. Rather, it's the place of conversion. The place where the old self dies and the new self is born. In solitude, I get rid of my scaffolding. No friends to talk with. No telephone calls to make. This was written in the 80s when we used to make phone calls. Uh, No meetings to attend, no music to entertain, no books to distract, just me. Naked, vulnerable, weak, sinful, deprived, broken, nothing. It is this nothingness that I have to face in my solitude. A nothingness so dreadful that Everything in me wants to run to my friends, to my work, to my distractions so that I can forget my nothingness and make myself believe that I'm worth something. But that's not all. As soon as I decide to stay in the middle of my solitude, confusing ideas, disturbing images, wild fantasies and weird associations jump about in my mind like monkeys in a banana tree. Anger and greed begin to show their ugly faces. I give long, hostile speeches to my enemies. 
and dream lustful dreams in which I am wealthy, influential, and very attractive. Or I'm poor, ugly, and in need of immediate consolation. Thus I try again to run from the dark abyss of my nothingness and restore my false self in all its vain glory. The wisdom of the desert, or Ramos, is that the confrontation with our own frightening nothingness forces us to surrender ourselves totally and unconditionally to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I hear what you're saying. Pastor, if you're, if you're trying to get me to do this, you lost me at nothingness. I get that. We can identify with the thoughts coming in like monkeys in a banana tree, right? I'm trying to let you know of an experience that is waiting for you if you want it. If you want it. Because it's available for every one of you. Silence and solitude is a place of encounter, which means it's a place of transformation. So I know a lot of people don't want to go there because they don't want to deal with themselves. They don't want to let themselves feel, much less feel in the presence of God. But here's the thing, guys. Listen. It's all there anyway. It's all underneath the surface. And you can distract yourself if you want to. You can play on your phone if you want to. You can binge watch whatever. You can escape however you want to. But guess what? At the end of the day, it's still going to be there. Unless you get in a place quiet place, alone, with yourself, and with God, where you can just begin to unpack it all. If you don't deal with it, it'll leak out in an unhealthy way. So the question is, is there a safe place to deal with that? Yes. Intentional time in a quiet place to be alone with ourselves and with God. To Elijah, this was not a, God was not someone to run from. He was someone to run to. God is a safe place to deal with everything on the surface and under the surface. So it's resting, waiting, feeling, naming. Then it goes into hearing, right, transforming, reentering. Most of us, we just want to go right to the hearing part, Right? Like, we just don't have time. We get there. It's like, hey, Lord, here I am. Silence and solitude. Like, what do you want to say? Okay. Ooh, that's really good. We'll write that down. Ooh, I'll use that next week in my message. Mm, right? That's how we want it. We set it down, get our phone out, take a picture, post it to social media, hashtag silence and solitude. Praise Jesus. Good talk. Here we go doesn't happen that way. But if you'll do it, he'll speak to you. Every one of you. He's not a respecter of persons. Dig into it this week. 
dig into it this week. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. And Lord, thank you that we have made a decision as a church to press pause. Before we go into this year, before we make any life-altering decisions, but to, to press pause and to get alone and to get quiet with you, our heavenly Father who loves us and cares for us. God, to sit in all of our emotions, to sit in all of our feelings. And Father, to kind of get down to the root of it all, to dig it all out, and for you to fill that void with such peace, such understanding, such calmness, and to still, to be still. has bowed and eyes closed, some of you in the room, the first step for you in this progression is actually a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you've never invited Jesus to come into your life. Maybe you once did, but you find yourself far from God. Today, we want to we help you. We're not going to embarrass you. We're not going to have you stand up. We're not going to have you come forward. This is between you and Jesus, but I would like to know who I can pray for. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, if that's you, just put your hand up, put it right back down if that's you, just, just so I can see who I'm praying for. Thank you. Anybody else? Anybody else? Thank you. You can put your hand down. Come on, let's just have this moment right here between you and Jesus. Anybody else in this moment? Thank you. You can put your hands down. Anybody else like that? Anybody else I can pray for before we move on? Thanks. Some of us, it doesn't mean we're just like distant from God. It's just like we just need to get close to Him. Like I, I've, I've allowed the holidays or the chaos or whatever it is to just create distance between us. Just want a prayer. Just pray for me. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. It's okay if we just take a couple of minutes and just wait. Some people, they're wrestling, and it's okay. It's okay. Anybody else before we change the direction and pray for people? Anybody else? Thank you. Else. Well, this is what the Bible says. We are those who believe and practice the way of Jesus. And so he said in his word that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you will be saved. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth. So many people are looking for truth. Jesus is the truth. No one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus said. So all this, the, the talk about, well, if you're just a really good person, you'll make it. No, Jesus says you got to come through me, which basically means just inviting him in to be your Lord and Savior. And for the easiest way for most of us to do this is just to say a simple prayer. So I'm going to have everybody in the room, I'm going to invite you to say it with me, even though you may be saved, even though you weren't the ones that raised your hands. So this will allow the people who did to have this moment. So say this with me. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me and for sending me Jesus. Jesus, I invite you into my life, into my heart. Choose to, I'm choosing today to spend the rest of my life in a relationship with you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Simple as that. 
It's a prayer of commitment of your heart. You invited Jesus to come in. That's the first step in the rest of your life. Amen. Guys, the reason why we're doing this series is because we are getting ready for 2019. 2019 is going to be something amazing at your place, church. Taylor pointed to it a while ago, but you guys saw the brewer construction fencing. All the construction fencing is there. They're bringing in a dumpster this week. They're blowing a hole in this wall over here. Just about the time I said last week, I don't know, it's taking a long time. We can't get, you know permits, everybody else wants to build, the Lord arrested my heart and he reminded me of Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 20. He says, I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success and we, his servants, will start building. And so I got, yeah, yeah. I got a little arrogant there for a second in my own personal prayer closet and I'm like, ah, No, we will start building whether, you know, like I don't care if ours has to supernaturally come to the top of the pile. We will do whatever it takes. And so God has been faithful to honor that. And it's because you guys are so generous. Thank you. Thank you for praying for us. Thank you for giving. So many of you trust God with your finances and you're blessed as a result. You skim the first fruit off the top. You give it to him because it belongs to him. And then you've chosen to give more from your abundance to to help us build this building. And so as the pastor of Your Place Church, thank you. Thank you for believing in the vision and the mission of Your Place Church. You have just as big of a part of this as we do because you give towards it. You have been listening to a YPC podcast. Visit our website at ypcprior.com to hear more.